Real quick, before we get started, I want to share a free resource I have to help you get better outcomes for your clients. The Visceral Referral Cheat Sheet will teach you the connection between common musculoskeletal pains and movement dysfunction and the associated visceral organs. Using this cheat sheet will allow you to make sure no stone is left unturned when creating a true whole body treatment plan of care that will get you great results for your clients. Head on over to unrealresultspod.com to download your free cheat sheet today or click on the link in the show notes. Hey there and welcome. I'm Anna Hartman and this is Unreal Results, a podcast where I help you get better outcomes and gain the confidence that you can help anyone, even the most complex cases. Join me as I teach about the influence of the visceral organs and the nervous system on movement, pain, and injuries, all while shifting the paradigm of what whole body assessment and treatment really looks like. I'm glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Unreal Results Podcast. Today, we're talking about thoracic outlet syndrome. Thoracic outlet syndrome is one of those things that um, I feel like actually is underdiagnosed. Um, yes, I feel like it's underdiagnosed, especially positional um, thoracic outlet syndrome. That can be really challenging uh, for people to diagnose because you can't see it on um, any diagnostic imagery because it only happens in certain positions, right? So um, thoracic outlet syndrome, the most common locations for neurovascular entrapment can be in the interscaling triangle of the neck, behind the clavicle, so retroclavicular space, also called the costoclavicular space, so the space between the first and second rib and the clavicle. And then also another common spot is behind the pec minor. So, um, you know, the majority of cases I'd say are probably neural more than vascular, but you can have vascular cases. It is common, like it's not uncommon. I think in athletics, I just tend to see a lot more neural problems than um, vascular, though common thing inactive people, people who do repetitive, you know, flexion extension types of exercises is Paget-Schroeder's syndrome. And that is when basically from the repetitive movement in the entrapment, you get a um, blood clot or thrombosis in the uh, subclavian vein. So that obviously can be life-threatening, right? Any, any, any blood clot could lead to pulmonary embolism and, and death. So it's like a big deal, right? So understanding vascular symptoms is important. So things like discoloration of the arm, tingling, change in temperature, changing color of the arm, swelling, right? Like uh, blood flow not being able to get like return, right? Because it's a usually vein uh, compression. And so, so you end up with a pretty swollen arm. Veins that could pop out. Obviously, pain is often part of it. Uh, sometimes um, both vascular and neuroentrapment, people will complain of kind of like a dead arm feeling. Um. So, 
so that's so you know so that's one like big red flag differential diagnosis sort of thing to pay attention to um, the rest of them that tends to be neural these are ones that like i said don't get diagnosed very often oftentimes they're positional what I want to talk about today is not just the anatomy. We're going to take a quick look at the anatomy, but I also want to talk about um, the implications for treatment because once you understand the anatomy and once you understand what's happening on the entrapment, it's sort of mind-boggling what the common treatment options are. So if you were to go to YouTube and you would Google or search on YouTube, thoracic outlet syndrome exercises. The majority of what you would see is neck stretches and scapular stability exercises, specifically kind of like old school scapular stability. Well, old school depending on depending for me old school scapular stability being a lot of like posterior scapular work like scapular retraction like y's t's l's w's so thanks and it it just kind of makes me laugh because um i don't think understanding what's going on is that hard to understand, right? So the nerves, they come out of the nerves and the vascular structures. So let's just talk about the nerves first since they're kind of on a different path a little bit. So the nerves come out of your neck from C4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and they form the brachial plexus. As they travel down out of the neck, they come through the scalenes, between the scalenes, that's that first entrapment site, the interscaling triangle. So this is a super common spot to get some entrapment because our scalenes often are pretty tight from um, being sort of shallow breathers, from just carrying tension in our necks. I'm sure in many episodes we'll talk about um, the nervous system and just it's, you know, it's no wonder that people especially as we age, we tend to have more like neck and shoulder pain. And that's just because a lot of neck and shoulder pain is actually more from our nervous system and more from um, our visceral organs than anything else. So that's a talk for another day. But all that all that input just reflexively, the muscles of the neck start to stiffen up. Plus, as we age, you know, the joints of our neck get... Um, you know, start to move towards arthritis and we have limited mobility. So that alters all of those deep lysing muscles too. And then add on all the, you know, poor posture we have looking at our devices all day long, those kind of things, right? So we know the many reasons why the scalenes might be short or tight or not so responsive to eccentric and concentric balance, right? So when that happens, sometimes those nerves get sort of strangled as they come through that, right? So they have an entrapment site there. And that can um, cause a lot of symptoms because that's pretty high up in the brachial plexus. So it's going to affect many of of the nerves, right? So then as it travels out of the interscaling triangle, it has to go behind the clavicle 
and under the clavicle as it goes then under <clears throat> the pec minor this is through the clavicular pectoral fascia into the upper extremity and so those are the other two sites around that same area so top of the thorax the thoracic inlet or the thoracic outlet right what it's called the blood vessels come out of the heart a couple go up the neck right into our um, neck and head and then they come out and curve around and then at that point when they curve around they're like subclavius artery vein and then as they go past the clavicle area, they become our axillary artery vein and then into our arm, our brachial artery vein. So the area of entrapment that often we look at when it is more of a vascular thing is more standard claustroclavicular space. Now, there's other... In that sort of interscaling triangle area, it sort of is similar to just the uh, supraclavicular triangle, which also contains our vagus nerve, it contains our phrenic nerve, which is a cranial nerve, and a cervical plexus and brachial plexus nerve, and then our carotid artery, our jugular vein, right? So there's some other important structures, our thoracic duct especially on the left side there, you got the thoracic duct. On the right side, you just have sort of regular lymph structures. So that supraclavicular space is a space where there's a lot happening as well. So you, so with that said, a little bit later, I'm going to share a unique th thoracic outlet type case I had that has more to do with that supraclavicular space than the traditional interscaling triangle or retroclavicular space or pec minor. So the other anatomy we can talk about. So if, if we look at the muscle pec minor, its role is it depresses the scapula and it tilts it forward. So anterior tilt and depression of the scapula. And that also, you know, it attaches to the ribs, so it can be involved in accessory breathing as well. It gets a, it's one of those muscles that gets a bad rap because it's associated with, quote-unquote, bad posture. The retroclavicular space is interesting that people don't... Clavicle kind of reminds me of the fibula. Like, a lot of people sleep on the fibula. A lot of people sleep on the clavicle, thinking it's, like, not that important. A little wild to me because the clavicle, I, I think, is almost one of the most important bones of the upper extremity because it is the bone that is the only bony articulation of the upper extremity, right? So that is the only actual joint holding our upper extremity to our axial skeleton is our sternoclavicular joint. So the, the clavicle, the collarbone... Um, Though we're quick to say it's no big deal when we have a clavicle fracture or no big deal when we put a plate in it or no big deal when we sprain our AC joint, right? The other end of it, the acromioclavicular joint, um, it's, it's always interesting to me because the clavicle moves. It has two joints. It moves a lot. It needs to move in order to have full range of motion overhead. As well, its position 
is so important for our neurovascular structures, right? And so this is this changed lens of view. Then when we view the body from an, the realization that the organs, the neurovascular structures are the most important thing to the body, now we realize the clavicle plays a really important role of protecting those neurovascular structures. So the retroclavicular space, the muscle that is there too, is called the subclavius muscle. Um, up until I, I started learning the osteopathic visceral and neural manipulation, you know, the only time, the only people I ever heard talk about subclavius muscle were massage therapists. And so the subclavius muscle is this little tiny muscle that um, seems like it doesn't really do anything, but you know, plays a role, is there for a reason, and is another thing that's in that space that could lead to adding into this neurovascular entrapment. So the subclavius it is like a little bit more medial on the clavicle, and it basically connects, it basically sub right, right below the clavicle and the subclavius muscle goes from the first rib and the costal cartilage. So first rib and cartilage and it inserts on the subclavian groove of the clavicle. So which is inferior surface of the middle one third of the clavicle. So yes, so I said it was the medial side of the clavicle. So it goes from that basically like medial part by the SC joint to about halfway. It's, um, Action is depression of the clavicle and elevation of the first rib. So it, it does play a role. Fun fact about the subclavius muscle as well is the nerve that innervates the subclavius muscle it comes from the cervical plexus and um, exits out of herbs point. So herbs point is a point, an area of the neck that I focus on for treatment because there's a lot of powerful nerves that come out of that area and one of them being the nerve to the subclavius. And oftentimes when muscles are tight, uh, not responding well to both eccentric and concentric ranges of motion, right? It's kind of like stuck. It's because they're not getting very good information from the nerve that's communicating to them. And so if we take things one step back instead of just smashing the heck out of subclavius to get it to relax to create more space in between the clavicle and the rib if we actually go and treat the area where the nerve is right we free that nerve and let it communicate to subclavius then the subclavius sort of lets go and creates more space under the clavicle so herbs point i have quite a few videos on youtube that I'll link in the show notes and then also on Instagram if you search the hashtag movement rev neural or movement rev nerves, you'll come up with all the videos that would include the herbs point videos. So because it comes from the cervical plexus, it also shares some of the input from the other nerves of the cervical plexus, uh, one of them being the phrenic nerve. So the phrenic nerve, our nerve that is most famous for innervated the diaphragm, it's, it's less famous for being a sensory nerve to the thorax, organs of the thorax, and the organs of the upper part of the abdomen, so the, the peritoneum. So sometimes the subclavius muscle will be tight because of irritation 
in the visceral organs, and sometimes meaning all the time. In fact, the Baral Institute refers to the subclavius muscle as a witness to a visceral restriction. Okay, so I want to talk about actually this retroclavicular space because um, sometimes it's nice to see a visual, and obviously, if you're listening on the podcast, you don't have a visual, but no, I'll be sharing a visual on my social media and um, the podcasts are all on YouTube to video so you'll see it but basically if, if you take a model of the scapula <clears throat> and a model of the clavicle and you put that joint articulation together you'll notice that you know the the medial part of the clavicle comes out anteriorly so that's kind of the roundness we feel of our clavicle. And then it dives in towards the posterior as it articulates with the lateral side of the scapula being um, at that AC joint. And this makes sense too. If, like if we look at it from the side, we would see a big V shape. And that V shape is because obviously the clavicle is on the front side of our thorax and the scapula is on the posterior side of our thorax and the thorax is round right so we've got some some width of our body that separates those two bones right so it's not that the clavicle is like directly on top of the scapula as i think a lot of people think about it it's more of this like v shape so once we are put that together, now you can see that space in between even the scapula and the clavicle from a height standpoint is not very big. So that's also, you know, another space that we can look to for problems, not necessarily thoracic outlet, but um, can sometimes mimic it, you know, is even um, sub the subacromial space, so the space under the acromion right, under the acromial clavicular joint, that space is not very big. And in the front here under the clavicle, we have to remember that we also have a rib, a first rib and a second rib that live right underneath that medial half of the clavicle. So there's actually not that much space for those neurovascular structures to go from the thorax into the upper extremity we can feel this it's the groove basically if you bring your shoulder blade forward it's the groove right it's this like line this diagonal line that makes our armpit right it's the line that leads us to our armpit basically that is the line that your neurovascular structures go down through so um freeing up that space is important so now now that means we got to talk about and this is what i talked about in the beginning saying that the um treatment exercises that are often given to people for thoracic outlet why it doesn't make any sense we don't need exercises to bring us into thoracic extension and bring us into scapular retraction and depression because that actually creates less space in the retroclavicular space that narrows it even more not to mention that it takes the pec minor and it also stretches it out 
which theoretically maybe it is a good thing if the pec minor is tight but i don't know about you if something is tight going to stretch it especially if there's a space behind it is just going to make that space even smaller and compress what's underneath even more right so you have to not think about only what's happening with the muscles you need to think about what's happening with the neurovascular structures so when we do scapular retraction and downward rotation when we're doing our scapular stability classics we're actually exacerbating the entrapment and the compression and the overstretching of the nerves and the vascular structures and so what needs to happen is we need the opposite. We need to get the shoulder blade to move forward on a round rib cage, on a round thorax. So we need to restore the thoracic curve, right? So restore our curve, especially when you think about thoracic outlet syndrome in an active person, right? In athletes. This is who I deal with mostly. So many times people are stuck actually in thoracic extension. People in a sway back posture, which is really common for, I feel like almost everybody, but definitely the lay person, people who are in a sway back, you think they have like thoracic kyphosis, but when you get them out of their sway back, what you see is they're kind of flat in the thoracic spine. And so restoring the thoracic curve is so important. You know, the the scapula lives on a curve. The scapula loves a curve. The scapula is more stable when it has a curve to move on and move into upward rotation and protraction with. So, and that's, that's what we need to restore. And um, oftentimes, too, when we restore that flexion and when we restore the mobility of the scapula, we improve breathing mechanics, and then therefore the scalenes also often relax and, and cause less entrapment at that first space too. So instead of doing things like T's and W's and prone A's or prone swimmers even, I would do closed chain scap push-ups. I would do sideline scapula stretches into upward rotation. I would direct manual therapy to the rhomboids, to the levator scapula, to the mid-trap area. I would facilitate function of the upper trap because if we look at our clavicle mobility, we want the clavicle to be elevated and protracted to give more space in that costoclavicular or retroclavicular space. And so I like to start people just on getting to know their clavicle and then learning how it moves, usually guided by what's happening at the SC joint. And that usually often frees up the scapula. Sometimes people's scapulas are so glued to their back, though, because of um, they've done so many posterior exercises that we need to take a step back and free things up from the back. So I might do cupping back there. I might have them roll on um, yoga tune-up therapy balls. I might do um, 
all the stretches, right? All the like protraction rounding stretches. So when you understand the anatomy of the thoracic outlet and the possible areas of entrapment, now you see how you need to actually restore a more anterior tilt and a more protracted position, right? So um, the scapula is funny. Again, like I said, the pec minor gets a bad rap um, because people felt like forward shoulders was bad posture. And I'm sure once upon a time for people, it was. Or, or there are some people, it is the problem. But you have to sort of look at the shoulder blade in a bigger picture of how is it sitting on you and knowing that, that what is a normal position when someone has curve a curve for the shoulder blade to live on is actually 10 degrees of anterior tilt. So oftentimes when somebody's having the entrapment side of the uh, thoracic outlet at the pec minor, it's not because they have too much anterior tilt. It's because they're actually too posteriorly tilted, right? Their scapula is like totally flat. If I place my hands on their scapula on their back, do my hands, do I see that 10 degree tilt forward in my hands or are my hands like basically vertical? If they're basically vertical, everything under that pec minor is getting strangled. No wonder they're having neurovascular symptoms in their upper extremity. So again, you have to look at things relative to the person in front of you and also understanding the anatomy. So that entrapment site is often from a pec minor being over lengthened. And this is why I don't like labeling things as tight because this is something tight or is it feel giving a sensation that is tight when you're stretching it. And that is not a reliable um, quality to, you know, bet on. So you have to look at the bones. Where are they? And what's happening? And how is pain provoked? How is pain eliminated? Can you get rid of their pain within the session? So, um, yeah, let's stop doing posterior work for people with thoracic outlet. Let's add in some pushing. Let's add in some scapular mobility. Let's restore a normal position of the scapula which if you look at the clavicle should be the AC joint about 10 to 15 degrees higher than the SC joint or about an inch to an inch and a half higher than the SC joint. How many people do you look at and their clavicles are like horizontal to the ground? I say this for the pelvis a lot and I'll say it for the clavicle and the shoulder blade. Neutral is not horizontal. Neutral is not vertical. Neutral is neutral. Neutral has to do with the curves of the ribs, the curves of the spine. We live on curves. Curves is what gives us support and absorption, ability to absorb shock. All right. So hopefully the next thoracic outlet syndrome person you'll see, one, you'll know the differential diagnosis to make sure it's not a life-threatening thing like Paget-Schroeder's syndrome the uh, thrombosis. And then second, instead of doing the old standard protocol, you're going to restore the space under the clavicle, addressing any tone in the subclavius, addressing any rib mobility things, 
and restoring the position of the clavicle and the mobility of the scapula. That will more than likely get rid of the person's neurovascular entrapment symptoms. So I promised you to a story about another type of thoracic outlet. I'll touch on quickly because I know I'm like running long on this podcast. Um, but anyways, I had this patient who came to me with half of his diaphragm um, paralyzed and nobody could figure it out. And after a couple sessions, basically, I was able to follow his locator test assessment protocol to the area of his supraclavicular like supraclavicular area, which is right where the phrenic nerve is. So that makes sense, right? Because his phrenic nerve wasn't working. And I was I was palpating along the phrenic nerve and I was right at this spot. And I was treating here. And I actually, in order to get to the spot better, I wanted to bring his um, shoulder blade. I wanted to create more space, right? More space in that area. So I could allow my fingers to get in a little bit deeper. So I took this shoulder blade and I brought it in protraction and I used a towel roll and I propped him up. So he's laying on his back and I used a towel roll to prop his shoulder in protraction and a little bit of elevation so I could get in that area where the phrenic nerve is. And when I did that, all of a sudden his breathing started to come back. Like the function of his diaphragm came back and I was like, what? And he was like, what? And so then what I decided to do was exactly what I just said to you is I was like, okay, like something is, you're having like a thoracic outlet type syndrome, but it's entrapping your phrenic nerve, which I was like, I've never heard of that, but I don't see why it's not possible. It's in an area where things, anything can get entrapped anywhere. And so we focused our treatment on freeing up his scapula because his was like glued back there. And, um, it helped his breathing quite a bit, gave him some relief, but more importantly, it had me looking in the literature for, has anybody ever seen this before? And I was like thoracic outlet syndrome, but phrenic nerve. And I found this random case study from some doctors, I think at UCLA, and they described something called Red Cross syndrome. And basically there is one of these, um, branches from an artery that grows, can grow across, right? It goes um, from, I can't remember what artery it comes off of, if it's coming off one of the carotids or it's coming off the subclavian artery, but either way, the artery is going um, lateral to medial towards the neck and it's like horizontal. So it was going across the phrenic nerve perpendicularly and it had just grown over the phrenic nerve and started compressing it. And over time, completely kind of shut off the communication throughout that nerve, which caused paralysis of his diaphragm on the right side. And so I told him what I thought. I sent him the article and he gave it to his neuro doc. And then she was like, oh my gosh, I think your therapist figured it out and sent them to a thoracic uh, vascular surgeon and he was like I've never heard of that I don't think you're right but I'm happy to do surgery and go in there and figure out what's going on and sure enough he went in and that is exactly what happened and the doctor was like oh look how smart I am I just figured this out which of course made me laugh because I was like yeah great job doctor 
but he had a double Red Cross syndrome. He had two arteries going across the phrenic nerve and compressing it. So they ablated those arteries and uh, stented the nerve and um, gave it a little bit more space to let it bounce back. And and he's on the road to recovery. So again, though, I only found that for two ways. One, the, the, the locator test assessment protocol like led me to that spot. So that was his body leading me to the spot. But then also understanding that with thoracic outlet and to create more space in the area, I need to bring the shoulder blade into protraction and elevation. That is when I happened to see the response in his body and was like, whoa, this is positional thoracic outlet. This is wild. I've never seen this before. And then that led me on the hunt. So when in doubt, never, never doubt going back to the anatomy and really thinking it through and not believing the standard treatment protocol because the standard treatment protocol does not work sometimes because it's not correct. But when you look at the anatomy, it just doesn't make sense. And now we're looking at anatomy, not from a musculoskeletal standpoint, but from a neurovascular standpoint. So I hope this was helpful for you. Be sure to let me know and uh, check out the show notes for all the resources I talked about. And uh, if you want to see the visual of the anatomy model, head to YouTube. Thanks for being here. See you next week.